Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. It's good to see you guys for our second week and our final week of this series as we are uh, concluding this Tuesday with the Feast of St. Mary. And over the last few weeks, uh, the goal has been for me to try to sort of showcase who St. Mary is and her work in our life and why she's so important and why she's our mom. So last week, we, I'm going to give a little bit of a recap, but my hope today is that St. Mary can reintroduce herself to you. So maybe some of you have reservations about this idea of the saints. Maybe some of you have reservations about the role of St. Mary in our lives. And maybe some of you are a little bit uncomfortable with, you know, uh, the, the Coptic or the Orthodox or even the Catholic understanding of saints. And again, we went through a little bit of it last week, and my hope is to dig a little bit deeper into this understanding so that we can understand the healthy relationship with the saints and what the Lord wants to teach us through them. So I started off last week's talk with this quote from St. Ephraim the Syrian. And St. Ephraim says, Awake, O my harp, your chords, in praise of the Virgin Mary. Lift up your voice and sing the wonderful history of, the, of this virgin, the daughter of David, who gave birth to the life of the world who gave birth to the life of the world. She didn't give birth to any normal person. She gave birth to the life of us all, the hope of us all, the healing of us all, and the resurrection of us all. That's what we say in the litany of the gospel. So she gave birth to the life of the world. And to recap what we spoke about last week is we said that God created the world and all creation with the potential to live with him forever. And we said that God knew when he created man that man was going to, to, to fall. The incarnation is not plan B. Christ coming and taking flesh was not a plan B. He knew when he was creating man that he was going to have to redeem man, and he knew that he was going to restore man. So the incarnation is plan A. Christ taking flesh is plan A. It's not a backup. It's not like he was like, oh, I'm going to create man, and I'm, they may fall. He knew that they were going to fall because God knows all things, right? So many people will say, well, why would he create them knowing that they were going to fall? Just because he knows doesn't mean that he determines what they do. He gave them freedom, and he gave them the autonomy to make a decision. And we said, and if you've heard me say this over and over again, in order for love to be love, love must have a choice. I can't say that you love me without giving you a choice to love me. So God, in his respect for humankind, he gives us the choice, and with that choice, there's a risk. With that choice, there is the risk of you and I using our freedom for good and you and I using that freedom for evil. So God creates man knowing that man is going to fall and knowing that he's going to have to come, take flesh, dwell amongst us, and heal us. And that's why we said last week that St. Mary was not a plan B as well. God knew the person that he was going to come to, come through from the beginning of time. So... But we know that God gave man a command, not from the eat, eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and man ate from it. And we know that the consequences of man eating from it was that they, they inherited death, and death entered into the world, and corruption entered into the world. And God, 
exiled man from paradise, not because of his anger, but because of his love towards man. And we said, we know that this incarnation was not a plan B, because we took that verse from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, which was a uh, prophecy of St. Mary, that I will put enmity, this is what he says to the, to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and between the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And we took this quote from Father Alexander Schmemann. We said, It is understood that Christ's co-nature with us is Christianity's greatest joy and depth. Because God took flesh and took our flesh, where did he get that flesh from? He got that flesh from St. Mary. So St. Mary is the reason why God took our nature. She is the one who he took his flesh from. And that's why we don't, without St. Mary, the work of salvation doesn't happen. Right? St. Mary is the person in the fullness of time that God chose to take flesh from. So that's why we say she's a big deal, not because she's just any ordinary woman, but because God chose her out of all the millions of women, the billions of women that have lived throughout eternity. So from the beginning of time, he chose this specific woman. So this is our greatest joy, that, that God is human, that he's fully human and fully divine. And he takes his humanity from St. Mary, he takes his divinity, it was there from, all, from the before all ages. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So he is one with us forever, united to us through his humanity. Then devotion to Mary becomes understandable, for she is the one who gave him his human nature, his flesh, his blood, and she is the one through whom Christ can always call himself the Son of Man. We took this quote from St. Athanasius saying, Christ is born of the Father, but took his humanity from the unplowed earth, the ever-virgin Theotokos. So, I want to tell you guys something really cool. If you ever want to know what we believe, what our theology is, look at our prayers. Just take our prayers and the church will, t will teach you what our theology was. That's why in, in orthodoxy there wasn't as much of this idea of let me stand from a podium and teach you. It was taught, the, the faith was taught through the life of the church. The life of the church. There was a, a, a telmeza, a passing down, a handing down of the faith from person to person through the liturgical life of the church. So anytime you read the prayers of the church, you will find over and over our theology. So if you ever ask yourself, is this like a right teaching? If I can find it in our liturgical worship, in any of our liturgical texts, then fine. But if I can't find it in a liturgical text, then put it aside and say, let me figure out where this teaching comes from. So, our theology in prayer. So we say in the first hour prayer, you are the mother of light who is honored from the rising of the sun to its setting and is offered glorification. O mother of God, the second heaven, for you are the lighted blossom and unchangeable mother in humility, the ever virgin. The father chose you, the Holy Spirit overshadowed you, and the son came down and was incarnate of you. So if you want to know our understanding of how we view St. Mary and how we understand where, where Christ took his humanity, it's crystal clear. It's crystal clear from the beginning, from, all of our, from the first hour of the day when we read our, the, the book of hours of the Igbeya. We understand our theology is taught through what is prayed. So I want to share with you guys a really beautiful quote about this fully human, fully divine peace. 
And I'm, I'm not going to get too theological, but I just think the theological stuff really paints the framework for us in terms of us being able to get into some of the practical. If we don't understand the theology, then we struggle with understanding the practical, right? So if I don't know why St. Mary is a big deal and why she's honored above everyone, then when I'm actually going and singing praise, I'm like, I don't want to do this. This doesn't make sense. But when I understand that she gave Christ his humanity, then I'm like, of course, she's a big deal. So she is to be honored. She is to be glorified. She is to be venerated. So look at this quote. This quote is from a, a really beautiful book, by the way, called uh, A Read of God. It's a very beautiful historical book, like a, one of these ancient books about St. Mary. And I love this quote. I was reading it earlier this week. And I'm going to read it to you in hope that it may give you a little bit of a lens of the humanity of Christ, right, that he took from St. Mary. He was completely her own, utterly dependent upon her. She was his food and warmth and rest, his shelter from the world, his shade in the sun. She was the shrine of the sacrament, the four walls and the roof of his home. Yet she must have longed to hold him between her hands and to look into his human face and see in it the face of God a family likeness to herself. Imagine when she's holding Christ. She looks at him and she sees herself, but she also sees the face of God. Imagine when he's in her womb, how much she is anticipating who this, the savior of the world that the angel Gabriel had spoken about. Imagine he takes his shade from her, the one who put the stars in the sky and the moon and all the magnificence of the world. He takes his shade from her. He finds his warmth in her. It must have been a season of joy, and she must have longed for his birth. But at the same time, she knew that every step that she took took her, a little, took her little son nearer to the grave. Each work of her hands prepared his hands a little more for the nails, and each breath that she drew counted one more to his last. I don't know about you guys, but when you take, like, Again, sometimes we think about the story of salvation and we think it's just like a story, right? But, but let's humanize it for a bit. Let's like think about the person of St. Mary in her womb carrying the Lord Jesus Christ. And then when she sees him, the happiest day, like I remember that greatest day of my life was when my kids were born. You're holding them and you're looking at them. You're like, wow, these two humans are my flesh and my blood. And they're ugly and kind of like alien looking, you know, when they come out of the womb. But you're like, these are the most beautiful kids in the world. And you look at these kids and you're like, your heart is filled with so much joy. And then you can't imagine for a second your child is born and you know that you're like, the plan for their life is to die for you. Like, let's fathom that for a second. Like, every parent's worst nightmare in the world is ever losing a child. Worst nightmare. You would say like, God forbid, like my parents would always say, like, take me a thousand times over before you. And you imagine that as she is holding this child, she knows what's to come. She knows what's to come. She knows the story. She knows what Simeon, the elder, says when he says, Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. He holds this child, and they bring him to the temple, and he's so excited. And he says, Behold, my eyes have seen your salvation, a light to the Gentiles. But then he looks to his mom, and he says, Hey, guess what? You know, this actually, this, this baby is going to pierce a, soul, a, a sword into your soul. Like, you're, you're, you're going to be wounded 
and you're going to feel this immense pain as watching your son give himself up for the life of the world. I don't know about you. I don't know about you. But if you anticipate and if you humanize this story just a little bit, it takes St. Mary to a wholly, totally different relationship. Like it just takes her to a different scope in terms of our lives because she bears so much suffering. She endures so much for both you and I's sake. She could have just easily said, you know what? I don't, I'm, not, I'm not about this business. I don't want to be part of this story of salvation. But she chooses. And that's why, you know, when you look at the theme of the, of the talks this whole entire week, even all about the character of St. Mary. Like, one of the fathers spoke about courage. One of the fathers spoke about suffering. One of the fathers talked about her, her willingness to self-empty. You see the, 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 the characteristics of St. Mary are very evident. And you see why we venerate her so much. But I want to I quickly tap into something, a survey that I read recently, that I thought was really interesting. So this is a, a website called Lagonier Ministries. They take these sort of questions and they pose them to the Christian world. And they ask them these questions and they see what kind of response. It could be thousands of people that answer this, um, but it's like a good sample size in terms of what nearly 70% of Christians believe that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. In case you didn't know, this is a heresy case you didn't know. So 70% of Christians that were polled believe Jesus is created. They don't believe that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. They don't believe that he was the God of all ages that chose, and when he was born, he was fully God and fully. The moment that he was, in, was, was announced to be in the womb of St. Mary, he was fully God, fully man. There was never a moment where he wasn't God. There was never a moment. You fast forward even more, 57% of Christians believe that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. I'm, I'm telling you, this is what the surveys are saying. People are saying that Jesus is a good moral teacher. They claim to be Christians, and they claim to have a, a, a understand who God is, but they think that he's just a moral teacher. Now, what happens if I take Jesus as a good moral teacher, what happens? What happens? What happens if I just take him as I like the teachings of Jesus, I like the teachings that he has, I like the Sermon on the Mount, I like you know, the Gospels, I like all this stuff. What happens if I believe that Jesus isn't fully God? How does that theology translate to my practice? Sorry? No salvation. No salvation. If I lose, the whole, I lose the whole of the Christian faith, he becomes a person to follow, not a savior to hope in. He becomes a person to follow, a set of rules, a set of moral conduct, a set of ethics. And what Christians in the modern context have done is they've reduced Christianity into a set of rules. They've reduced Christianity not into a relationship, but into a set of rules that we follow in order to be right with God. So I remove Christ as a savior, and I put myself in his place as the person who is ethical and good and righteous, and because of my own righteousness, God accepts me. That sounds familiar to other faith systems. If my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then my good deeds, you know, then maybe God will, you know, accept my 
my life and forgive me. It sounds similar to other faith systems, right? Faith systems that don't have Jesus in it. So can you see how even our understanding of St. Mary translates to our understanding of how we believe who Jesus is and then translates to how we live life? If I believe that St. Mary is the mother of God, right, then God dwelt in her womb. And if God dwelt in her room, then Christ is fully human and fully divine. And if Christ is fully human and fully divine, then he is my Savior and my Redeemer. If I don't think that Christ is fully God from the moment that he's conceived in the womb of St. Mary, then it's easy for me to fall down this rabbit hole of all these foreign teachings from the church. So that's why when you go even into the earliest heresies of the church, and I didn't want to go too deep into the heresies of the church, but they're important. You go to the Council of Nicaea, you go to the Council of Constantinople, you go to all these different councils, there's a big fight about this understanding of who St. Mary is, and they gave St. Mary this title, Theotokos. You know what the word Theotokos means? It means what? The God-bearer, or the mother of God. The God-bearer, Theotokos. So it's not a title that is given to her, like cool, like, oh, we, that's why we don't use the word the mother of Christ. I know sometimes you see it creep up into our songs. We don't use the mother of Christ. We use the mother of God because if we say the mother of Christ, then there, there's a moment in which God, Christ was not God within her. You understand that point? Did I lose you guys? You sure? I'm looking at all your faces. If I get too deep in the theology, I'm, I'm watching. So if there's a moment, if I call her anything other than the mother of God, Jesus never heals humanity and never restores us to our rightful place with him. If God didn't become, come and take flesh, then he doesn't have the capacity to heal us. He doesn't have the, the capacity to restore. The first Adam sinned, the second Adam restored. The first Eve sinned, the second Eve restored. So you understand why this is a big deal. Okay, so again, back to our theology. I'm, I'm, I promise you I'm moving, moving on from the theology in a second. And if you look at the concluding prayer of the Coptic funeral, and actually the other day I was in a funeral, and I was like reading, I was like, whoa, look at, these this, look at this text. You know, I've only attended like three funerals since I've become a priest. So I'm like sitting and reading. I'm like, these, this text is amazing. And I actually put like three side slides initially, but then I was worried I was going to bore you guys. But look at this text. It says, and in the last days, you have manifested to yourself to us with zeal and pitying compassion and remembered us who were sitting in darkness and the shadow of death through only begotten Son. Our Savior, the Beneficent, by the way, this word, my pet peeve, it's not the Beneficent. Beneficent. It's Beneficent. Please. Beneficent. Beneficent. Please. It's not let us give thanks to the Beneficent. It's let us give thanks to the Beneficent. It's my... Sorry. I know. I know. Forgive me. It's, it's, and, and it's just once you correct it, people will be better about it. It's just nobody correct it. I remember when I was growing up, my, my buna, I saw my buna, it's please, buna, it's beneficent. I'm saying that. <laughs> okay, buna. Our Savior, the beneficent lover of mankind, who brought to naught or destroyed the dominion of death through his life-giving death upon the holy wood of the cross, when he died in the flesh, which he has taken from us. How can he take his how can he die in the flesh if he doesn't take his flesh from us? From us, from St. Mary. I'm losing you guys. Let's keep going. So, more controversy with St. Mary. Last week we spoke a little bit of controversy with St. Mary, but let's go in a little bit deeper. So, 
The controversies that some people say is you worship idols and images everywhere. We walk into your churches and we see icons all over the place. You guys worship images. The, the commands of the Lord, even if you go to the Mosaic Law, it says that you shall not have engraven images. What are you Orthodox people doing? Why do you have all these paintings and these different things? And it seems foreign. Like, if I look at the commandments, it seems like what you're doing is off. How many of you guys, when you are putting something together, do you read the instructions? How many of you guys actually like, uh, my wife and I are very different on this. I'm like, ah, I'll figure it out. She reads cover to cover, wants to make sure she reads all the instructions before, and I'm like, yalla, come on, let's just get this over with, right? Many of us, we have an instruction manual, and we actually don't like instructions. What do we do nowadays? Nowadays, right, if there's instructions that come, we prefer to go to YouTube and search a YouTube video in order for us to be able to put together a table, or fill in the blank, right? So God gave us his word through the law, through the prophets, through the variety of different people, right? And many of us, no matter how much we read, there's something that's lacking in terms of our application, right? There's something that's lacking in terms of our application. So God in his beauty, and we in our, like, our desire to be able to have something that we see, we have saints. The saints are the YouTube video of the modern day. They're the YouTube video that when we want to be able to see someone who exemplifies the teaching of the, strict, the scriptures, the instruction manuals, these are people who fought the good fight and finished the good race, right? And because we struggle with reading instructions, we often look to something visible for directions. We struggle with being able to read instructions but God says, okay, even when you can't read instructions, I'm going to give you person after person after person. That's an icon of me. If any of you guys were here on Friday for Father Min Aboud's wife, Father Min Aboud was a, is a hiero martyr. By the way, the word hiero martyr is for a priest who is martyred for his faith. So anytime you see the word hiero, that's it's a, a regular martyr is somebody who isn't a priest. But if a priest is martyred, they give him the title hiero martyr, just for, for side, side, side uh, fact. So, Father Amin Aboud, when you watched his wife on Friday, how many of you guys saw her glowing? How many of you guys looked to her and said, wow? Like, you know, me, because I'm, I'm a sucker for glut, like punishment, what I did is I went and watched his funeral. And I looked at his wife and his kids. And I was like, man, this is like such an intense moment. Like, you look at these kids, and they look like deers. Like, they're big eyes, and like, they're watching their dad who just went through so, such a hardship right? You compare that moment to you compare them the other day, and you see what the grace of God has done. How many of us, when you look at those three people, even though they're not like saints, you look at those three people, their dad is a saint, right? Their dad is a martyr. When you look at those three people, there's something inspiring about that. There's something about their hope. There's something about their courage. There's something about their joy that it gives you this sense of like, okay, if they've been through all this, like, I can get through this too. Like, you know, they, they watch their dad's funeral. Like, I can get through a hardship. I can get through a difficulty. So God gives us the image in the saints. God gives us these pictures. We put these pictures all across the walls of our churches as a remembrance of the YouTube video. These are all YouTube videos for us. By the way, I didn't get this analogy for myself. I took it from his grace, Bishop Angelus, and I like what he says. He says, the, the saints, including St. Mary, are meant to inspire us to live a life dedicated to God, 
and aspire to be holy like them. Being holy and sanctified is not always easy to understand through Scripture alone. Therefore, God gave us the saints as living examples. The saints are like YouTube tutorials that we can watch and mimic in order to live a holy life. I love this. When I, when I heard this, I was like, this is a fantastic analogy. And it's a beautiful inspiration for us to say, we don't, we don't put these pictures up because we worship the pictures. We don't have these engraved images. We put these pictures up as if these are reminders. These are, again, signposts along the way to inspire us and to encourage us. So anyone who comes to us and says, you guys worship idols. We don't worship idols. We're put it, do you watch YouTube? Do you watch YouTube? And they'll say, of course I watch YouTube. Do you read the manual when you put together a table? They're going to say, no, they don't read the manual. So these are the YouTube videos of the modern day for us. The saints are the YouTube videos. Look what Father Alexander Schmemann says. He says, Christ, and, and this is a, a cool thing, by the way. I like this quote because, you know, this is, uh, this may appear feminist, but I just want you to read and I want you to understand what he's saying here. It's beautiful. He says, Christ's first gift to us the first and most profound revelation of his teaching and call is given to us in the image of a woman. Why is this so important, so comforting, and so redeeming? Precisely because our world has become so completely and hopelessly male, governed by pride and aggression, where all has been reduced to power and weapons of power, to production and weapons of production, to violence, to refusal, to be willingly, to willingly back down or to make, or make peace in anything, or to keep one's mouth shut and plunge into the silent depths of life. The image of Virgin Mary, the Virgin Mother, stands against all of this and indicts it by her presence alone. The image of infinite humility and purity, yet filled with beauty and strength. The image of love and the victory of love. That's a baller quote. Like, that is a fantastic quote. Maybe, maybe you didn't grasp it. But he's saying, the world desperately needs this image of power in simplicity, power in love, power in humility, power in, in compassion and, and, and caring. And that's why when you go to all war-stricken countries, where does St. Mary often appear? In those countries. Why does, where does St. Mary often go to? She goes to places where people are in places of absolute devastation she is we have the youtube video and the saints but she is actually the image of what a beautiful woman is and a beautiful human is like she's the image of what it means to be human one who fully cooperates with god and one who humbles themselves and one who offers themselves for the life of the world myth number two jesus was god so he can't expect me to be like him. How many of us have heard this before? Like, Jesus was God and human, but he's God, you know? So when he tells me to be perfect as I am perfect, like, he can't really expect that. Like, I'm just human, right? What I was just saying. So in Orthodoxy, we have this teaching of St. Mary. We call her Panageia, which the Theotokos is honored as the All-Holy, who's supreme example of the cooperation between God and man. When we call her Pan Ageya, we basically are saying she is the, the prototype of what it means to be human. She is the person who fully cooperated with God, fully surrendered herself to God, fully was like exactly the nature like ours, like no different than ours. 
Like, okay, you can say maybe, okay, God is fully human, fully divine, right? And St. Mary is fully human. So you can't say St. Mary, like, you can't say that the expectation of being like God is foreign, right? St. Mary exemplifies that. She is the one who gives us our human potential. She's the one who shows us what we can be. So we call St. Mary Panageia. Now, there's a lot of debate on when, when Jesus dwelt in her, was she sinless? Before, did she, you know, after, did she sin? We don't, we don't get into that stuff. We just, it's no benefit for us. There's no benefit for us in to understand how holy St. Mary was. We just give her the title that she's all holy. We give her the title that she, when she bore Christ, and even from the beginning of time, she gave herself and consecrated herself and always kept her eyes on God. And because she always kept her eyes on God and consecrated herself, she was the vessel that God chose to dwell in. I love what St. Ephraim the Syrian says in his hymn called The Harp of the Spirit. He says, just as the bush on Horeb bore God in the flame, the burning bush, so that's where we get the hymn, the burning bush, so did Mary bear Christ in her virginity. Perfectly God, he entered the womb, what, through? The ear. In all purity, the God-man came forth from the womb of the crea- into the creation. Mary's ear is where the Lord entered. Now, not physically, but from her regular devotion to the Lord and hearing the word of God and applying it. She had God dwelling in her, and she was an icon of God before even Christ took flesh within her. She perfectly, look, in her virginity, perfectly God. He entered the womb through the ear through her obedience to the Lord. And now when you look even further, many people will take this verse from Luke 11, 27 and 28, where they say there, were a, there was Christ was walking by, and it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. So she gives a shout out to St. Mary. And then he responds and says what? But he said, more than that, Blessed are those who, what? Hear the word of God and keep it. Hear the word of God and keep it. St. Mary heard the word of God and kept it. St. Mary had the law of the Lord written on her heart. St. Mary was one who was consecrating herself to God from even before the angel came and appeared to her. And my question to every single one of us is this is an invitation for us. It's an invitation for us that more blessed are those who keep, hear the word of God and keep it. Why do you think in the litany of the gospel, we say, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Maybe we be made worthy to hear and to act according to the holy gospel. Why do we say that? It's because our goal in the life of the church is for us to be able to hear the word of God and to do the word of God. To hear the word of God and to go out and to apply it. To not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And St. Mary, again, gave us this icon of a person who hears the word of God and applies the word of God. If anyone was here the other day, Buna Binyamin said something really powerful. And I loved this. So for all of you guys who missed this, I'm going to repeat it. Forgive me. Abuna Binyamin said that there's two things in the church that, that, we, when, that when we say them, it's like a wake up and smell the coffee. He says... When Christ entered into Jerusalem, what did the people say? They said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
And when are the two times in liturgy when we say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord? Before we read the gospel and before when Abuna turns around and shows the Eucharist, we say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jerusalem is representing what? The heart. The word of God, in order for it to be able to be heard and acted, it has to enter the heart. So when we say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, all of us need to be thinking of Hosanna entering into Jerusalem and saying, Hosanna, enter into my heart. Hosanna, enter into my dwelling place. Hosanna, let me not just hear these words and just let them out one ear. Let me apply this word. Let me be like St. Mary who heard and acted, who received the message of the Lord, and she said this, Behold the maid servant of the Lord, let it be done according to your word. And then, Abuna turns around and offers the Eucharist, presents it to the whole congregation. We say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Lord, let me have this medicine. This medicine, let it enter into my heart and let it heal me. Let it transform me. Let it be the medium by which I come to know you, to love you, to serve you, and to give my life to you. The challenge for every single one of us is as we see the saints, as we see St. Mary, as we see even the church's life, we've taken these last two weeks to really focus on her life, venerate her life, and ask the Lord to give us the grace that he gave her. From the beginning of her life, ask yourself, where are there parts of her life, if she's a YouTube video, where are there parts of her life that I can start to mimic? Where are there places that she represents my struggles? Where are there opportunities for me today that I can start to see her YouTube video again and live it and practice it and use it as an example for myself? So maybe part of us are feeling like, you know, like when Abraham said, I like my life in a certain direction. I like, it, I like control. I like everything going according to what I want. I like to have a tight grip on every single thing in my life. St. Mary is the perfect person that says, you have your whole life planned, and then God in a snap of a finger can change everything. Are you obedient to that change? And then maybe you're worried about shame. People are ridiculing you, saying different things about you, insulting you. St. Mary was born in a time, and even in the time now, to be pregnant as a young woman without a spouse is a shame. She bears that shame. She owns that shame. And she responds to that shame with joy. You don't see her complaining throughout any of the scriptures. And then you see her later on in her life as she gives birth to Christ. You see that there is actually no place for her. She endures intense suffering, right? It's not like she goes and Christ gives her God gives her this, the angel gives her this revelation that she's going to be the mother of God and it's going to be awesome for you. She goes and what happens? There's no inn. She's a refugee. Father Samuel was saying yesterday, she's a refugee. And she finds herself in a place where she doesn't even know where she's going to give birth to her son. But what does she do? She doesn't complain. She doesn't, you know, the, the, the gospel writers don't say that she goes to St. Joseph and says, figure out something. They just find the place. God prepares the most humble of humble places to be born in. Do I endure humiliation? Do I endure hardship? What's my response to difficulty in my life? 
How do I respond when I'm, put, put, when I'm put in a difficult circumstance? Do I respond with anger? Do I respond with exhaustion? I just say, I'm done. Or do I respond like St. Mary? Where I put my, the mission, which my eyes are on, before the circumstances. I think sometimes we get caught up in the circumstances and we lose sight of the vision and the mission that's before us. And then you move even forward into her life. And you see her, she loses Christ for three days. By the way, she loses Christ for three days. Like, you, any parent who loses their child for 30 seconds, you almost have a nervous breakdown. N- for you young folks, you don't know, but like, I, I can remember being the lost kid, by the way. Like, I remember one time when I was, a, I was always running away from my parents. So I, c- I can remember being the lost kid, and one time I ran away from my parents and actually was like really lost for like an hour. And it was the scariest thing of my life. Now flip that. Imagine what my, my mom, she always says that was the most crazy day of her life. She almost had like a, an aneurysm, you know? But think about what St. Mary endured. But this quiet confidence, this quiet faith that no matter what circumstances my child is going through, I trust that God is with me through it. Fast forward even more into her life. She goes to the wedding of Cana and Galilee. And she sees the Cana and Galilee as this circumstance in which she sees these people that she loves that are in a hardship, in a difficulty. And she doesn't say... They should have planned better. What dummies, you know? Haddar imurak, you know? Like, figure your situation out a little bit better. No. She goes to the Lord, and she intervenes, and she says, can you do something about this? My question to myself as I read that passage is, how do I respond when I see other people in crisis? Do I say, ah, that must really stink? Or do I respond and say, you know what, let me be part of the solution? And then you fast forward even more in her life. And you see her when Christ is on the cross. And you see her enduring all the pain that she endures for watching her son be tortured and abused. And again, eye on the goal. Eye on the goal. That YouTube video is a legit YouTube video. That's like the best YouTube video. We want an icon. We want somebody to encourage us. We want somebody to inspire us. We take the life of St. Mary. Not because she was different, but she was a woman with a nature like ours. And because her nature that was like ours was so beautiful, and because of her life that she lived was so beautiful, we look to her, we venerate her, we offer her praise, because she is the one who gave Christ his, his humanity, and his humanity is what you and I share with Christ in. So allow her to reintroduce herself to you. Not Jay-Z. Allow her to reintroduce herself to you. Allow her to reintroduce herself to you. Allow her to reintroduce herself to you and to say to you the truth about who she is. If you have misconceptions about her, read about her. If you have issues with her, understand what the church teaches. If you struggle with our understanding of the, of the saints, ask questions. But don't say, I'm done. I want nothing to do with this. Say, you know what? I'm willing to grow, willing to learn, willing to encounter her, and willing to look at that YouTube video because it's a beautiful icon of what the Lord wants from every single one of us. So I pray that we would call her our mama. That's the whole point of this season. We call her our mama, and we'd say, Mama, you know what I'm going through. You know the circumstances that are in. You know what a human feels. You know what, like, you know, I know what you've endured, and you know what I'm enduring. 
And you see last week, right after we started this series, Sunday, what happened on Sunday afternoon in, in Egypt? We saw a person who's paralyzed, paraplegic, unable to walk, unable to do anything, sitting in one of the veneration services, one of the revivals in Egypt, and all of a sudden he says, I saw St. Mary, and he rises. Miracle, right before our eyes. All of us were blown away by that. All of us were blown away by that because miracles are still happening in the world. St. Mary entered into that circumstance, and you see the interview when that guy talks. He says, I was fully confident in the Lord Jesus Christ that he was going to heal me. And I was confident that when I saw St. Mary, I was going to rise and I was going to walk. And that's what happened. So when you're going through a hardship, ask her. Ask her for help because she's your mom. She's your mom. Ask her to intervene in the circumstances. Ask her to help you. Ask her to stand before the Lord as she stood before him in the wedding of Canaan and Galilee to intercede and to intervene in the circumstances that all of us are going through. May we live as the children of St. Mary, and may we thank her this day and every day and the remainder of this season that we have a few more days left, and venerate her and honor her because of the great work that she's done to give us the same fabric that the Lord Jesus Christ took, the same nature that the Lord Jesus Christ took. Glory be to God forever. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.